Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of 20 Minute Playbook, where each week we sit down with an elite performer from iconic founders to world-renowned investors and best-selling authors to dive into everything from their daily routine to their favorite books, tools, superpowers, and more, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I sit down with Brett Goldstein, co-founder of LaunchHouse, which is building a new launchpad for founders and engineers both around the world and in the metaverse. LaunchHouse started as a crazy experiment where the founders rented a mansion in Tulum, Mexico for one month and invited a bunch of founders and engineers to come and stay with them. What they found was surprising. By focusing on human connection and having everyone live in the same house together, everyone in the program wasn't just making incredible progress on what they were building, they were making incredible friends. As you'll hear, LaunchHouse quickly seized on that opportunity, and today they run launch houses for founders and hack houses for engineers in Los Angeles, New York, and the metaverse. And they're just getting started. Early LaunchHouse alumni have already gone on to raise venture capital funding from top-tier firms like Sequoia, A16Z, and First Round. You can find the full show notes for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 83, including links to everything we discuss. For more from Brett, you can follow him on Twitter at thatguybg. You can also learn more about LaunchHouse at launchhouse.co or at launch underscore house on Twitter. With that, it's time for 20-Minute Playbook with Brett Goldstein of LaunchHouse. Brett, thank you so much for coming on 20-Minute Playbook. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks. So this is going to be a little bit faster paced. We try to keep these episodes under 20 minutes. And the first question that we always ask is for a recent fascination. So this can be anything. It can be super close to what you're working on day to day, which is launch house. It can be much broader, much more esoteric about stuff in crypto or DAOs, whatever you're thinking about. What have you been fascinated about recently? I have to say DAOs and NFTs because, <laughs> of course, it's definitely been top of my mind. But I did watch a really amazing video that was explaining the dimensions, the 10 dimensions. So that was very interesting. Is that on YouTube? Yeah. Find, okay. I'll try to find that. And in DAOs, NFTs, any projects in particular you're spending time looking at or that you're interested in or you're participating in? I'm definitely an OMI. Definitely excited about Olympus DAO. It's rare to see a technology or a space or an energy that actually points to a very ambitious, exciting, crazy, brain-exploding future. And that's basically what DAOs especially kind of point to, which is like the progressive decentralization of you know, organizations in the world, or the back to decentralization and the financialization of everything. So it's just kind of like this nerdy wormhole to go down. Do you think there will ever be a launch house DAO? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> we can come back to that in a future interview. When you think about your superpowers, so you're someone you've got deep experience in your background in product management. You've also spent some time in M&A. You worked at Accenture doing consulting. You've done kind of a wide range of things. And now you're spending all your time building launch house. So this could be almost anything. But when you think about your superpowers, the things that you're uniquely really gifted at, what comes to mind and how do you use those things day to day in building launch house? Yeah, I think the main thing is that I'm a first principles thinker. So this is important for not only diagnosing problems, coming up with strategies, communicating with people, but also like, you know, managing your own emotions and things. So just the ability to ask why and be able to string two different things together is very helpful. So when I think about community, I think about religion, which is like a really obvious parallel, but not everybody is like truly applying. And then also it's like when people think about those two intersections, they don't actually think about what actually that means. Oh, Christianity is a great community. Like you should 
use religion to understand how to build a community, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like the five whys, that exercise, that's kind of like something I do very naturally, I would say. You touched on or something you just said was around first principles thinker and that, that helps you manage your emotions. Talk a little bit more about that because that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So it's really funny. It's just most of our emotions are derived from things that are not super existential. <laughs> so the idea is like when you're unhappy, sad, whatever, elated even, if you ask yourself why, you can often get to an answer that it has nothing to do with whatever you're sad about. So you're feeling down one day and then you like look at your sleep monitor or you realize you haven't eaten, you realize you're tired, you realize it's all physically based. And so when you can realize that, you can actually just observe and and come up with better solutions for dealing with it rather than unleashing it on people around you or other unhealthy things. Yeah. It's almost like that's a way to address the symptoms as opposed to just staying focused on like, why do I feel this way? This is bad. Yeah, exactly. On the flip side, what do you feel like you've struggled with? And this could be anything. This could be organization. It can be, I don't know, a specific type of problem, specific ways of kind of working with people. What have you struggled with and how have you improved or worked around those things over time? Most people like me would probably say that most people who are very analytical and first principles may say the same thing, but I've always been biased to action, but sometimes execution is harder than it needs to be. <laughs> and honestly, like the blessing of launch house is that I have a really amazing co-founder, Michael Hauk, who is like the hardest worker, like most incredible executor I've ever seen. And so he basically picks up all of my slack and like, he's just top, top, top. So that's how I deal with it. <laughs> yeah. By finding great people that can complement your strengths. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On the habit and routine side, do you have a very structured daily, weekly, monthly routine or anything there that you've experimented with that has had a positive impact on your life, your performance? I'm sure 80% of people here say meditation, (laughs) but I actually don't meditate very regularly, but I have done these meditation, silent meditation retreats. I'm sure folks have mentioned this as well, but my biggest takeaway from these is that it's not so much them, like meditation is really, really helpful because it is. But the takeaway is to, again, what we were talking about just earlier is like to deeply understand the where feelings arise and being able to like objectively look at them in a third person. That's, I think, the biggest value of those meditation retreats. And I would say like, also just learning that you are not your mind and your mind can be programmed. That's like one of the biggest life upgrades you can ever have is that understanding. So as an example of something that I used to do is if I wanted to create a meditation practice, I love Oreos, you know, it's just my guilty pleasure. And yeah. And so what I did is I bought a box of Oreos and whenever I wanted an Oreo, I said, I'm going to meditate for five minutes and then I'm going to eat the Oreo. And if I want two, I'm going to do 10 minutes. And so what happened is it had this bi-directional effect where like when I wanted an Oreo, I'd meditate. And then I get the reward and I'm like, dang, I love meditating. <laughs> just, it's just a reminder that we're all just kind of stupid monkeys sometimes. Yeah. And that you can play with that and control that in really interesting ways. That's fascinating. And no one has actually brought up doing an extended meditation retreat. How many days have you done? I don't know. Any advice for someone thinking about doing it for the first time? Yeah. So I did a, a 10 day fully silent meditation retreat. It's 10 hours a day of meditation as well. It's one of these things where like, you shouldn't do it if you have like a history of like severe psychological mental illness, but 
basically everybody else, you should just do it. It is incredible. It is eye-opening. I would think of it like brainwashing in a literal sense. So washing is like cleaning, cleaning things out. You don't realize it, but your brain just kind of accumulates. Your mind accumulates a lot of gunk. And if you sit and actually let it rest, the gunk just starts, starts evaporating from your mind. And you just feel very refreshed. You're very clean afterwards. But you also start touching on these more deeper philosophical existential things around like just like deeper connections with energy and all that stuff. Yeah. 10 day retreat. Wow. That's definitely something on my list to do. Although 10 days sounds ambitious. <laughs> it sounds very ambitious for the first time. Yeah. On the fitness side, what's your approach to diet, exercise, and sleep? And how much have you maybe optimized those things? Yeah. So this is something I'm just starting to work on again. Now I've gone through fits and starts, like I've ran marathons and I've been in great physical shape and not great physical shape. One thing I've done that on this front that I've kept to is I don't drink soda. I don't drink Coke or Pepsi or Sprite or anything like that. It's a modest upgrade, but I think there's this idea of, you know, 1% better. If you can figure out what the 80-20 is, like what's something that you are doing consistently that is very bad, that is easy to cut out, then you're going to be in a good position. Yeah, that's super interesting. On the personal growth side, do you have a favorite failure? When we ask this question, it's always a little weird, I think, if you've never kind of thought about it before. But I think we're trying to get at there is one, get people talking about failures that they've had a little bit more openly. And then two, just this notion that failures aren't inherently bad. And there's actually a lot of things, if you look back through anyone's life, that a certain goal not achieved might still be a wonderful thing to propel them in a better direction or teach them a valuable lesson. When you think about a favorite failure, does anything come to mind? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not so much a, oh, I failed at doing this thing, but it's in the ballpark, which is I got burnt out at Google and I went and did this like nine month trip around the world. It was amazing. On paper, it was like a gift. It was amazing. It was like, I went into Bali and I did three weeks of like yoga and like music. And I went to Vietnam and I rode a motorcycle down the whole country. And I went to China, did the Trans-Siberian Railroad, hung out with nomads in Mongolia and like went to the World Cup, saw my cousin married in the South of France and like circumnavigated the gold multiple times, volunteered with refugees. You know, it goes on. It was like, this cinematic, beautiful adventure, but I was miserable towards the end. It was terrible. And I was just like, how can you fail at like literally doing the thing that most people are never able to do in their lives? How can you fail at being happy doing that? So I think that was, that's honestly the biggest failure. Cause it's like, I learned that there's a lot more to it. And so my biggest takeaway from that is that personal growth start is an inward journey and an outward journey. And a lot of people travel for the wrong reasons. And travel is overrated to a degree. It is great to expose yourself to new people. It is fun to be able to finally visit that restaurant or that site that you dreamed about and stuff. And also to show yourself that you've made it because that's actually what travel is for, for a lot of people. You ask people what they want when they have infinite money, they would say, oh, I just travel. Why? Why is that? Because that's how we show ourselves that we've made it. And I think there are more ways. I think there's creating things. There's learning things. There's discovering yourself. There's the meditation, like the inward journey, there's psychedelics. There's a lot of stuff you can gift yourself that is not travel. 
that I think is much more rewarding from a personal growth perspective. Yeah, it's fascinating. And to reflect on that, I mean, it seems like your, at least the takeaway that I'm getting from that was you may be expected to go on this trip and have this big personal growth only to realize, you know, it makes me think of that quote, which is somewhat depressing, but I think is also incredibly true that anywhere in the world that you travel, there you are. Like you still are that same (laughs) version of yourself, even if you're literally across the globe. (laughs) Was that what you took away? Was that like that dissonance you were feeling? Yeah. Definitely. One of the songs I wrote while I was traveling was called Home. And uh, the, one of the lyrics was similar. It was like, man may go, but trouble stays. It's not that I was really troubled. It was just like, I was just contemplating like where I was going to go in my career and my life. And like wandering around the world was like almost an accidental distraction from it. When I felt like the most growth that I had was sitting on my ass for hours and hours and hours a day for just 10 days or reading a good book. Yeah. Well, it's super interesting. Thanks for opening up about that. On the flip side, when you think about success, what does success mean to you now? And how do you feel like that definition has changed over time? Yeah. So success is like, it needs to be defined in a context. So usually the question is about like, what is success to you? Or what is a successful life to you? Because there's a way of being a successful founder, there's a way of being a successful spouse or something like that. So for me, success, I think, it's really about two things, it's impact and it's connection. So there's putting something into the world, creating something for humanity. This is like deeply ingrained in like just what we are as animals. This is what our job is. Our job is to help progress the human race. It's like very primitive urge. And the other very primitive urge is that have a deep sense of belonging and connection. This is what people think about when they're really old and they're on their deathbed. Did I do something meaningful in my life for the world? And do people love me? Yeah. It makes me think, especially on that first point, there's a great book I've been reading recently called The Good Ancestor. The book is prefaced a little bit on this idea, the inventor of the polio vaccines named Jonas Salk. And it's interesting to think about the polio vaccine, especially now where we have this COVID vaccine. There's been a lot of talk around should Moderna own the IP to that? You know, should this be this kind of open thing? And Jonas Salk decided to make it basically he didn't protect any of the IP, made it something so that everyone could get access to really freely. And the way they thought about it was his most important question he thought everyone needs to ask is, are we being good ancestors? And anyways, it just really gets to that idea of like building something for other people and building something that can be a gift, not just for yourself, but hopefully for future generations as well too. Yeah. And it's interesting because you think about like, what's a standard career trajectory for a lot of people is it's build wealth, take care of yourself and your family by the relative standards for the people around you. So if your family is like a bunch of lawyers and doctors and Goldman execs, then you have a different level of wealth you need to achieve to feel like your basic needs are met. And that's actually related to the need to belong because you want to feel like you have a spot in your family, in your community, and you need to do that by having a certain level of achievement. But then what happens after that? People go into philanthropy, they start donating, they volunteer to be like the kids, you know, soccer coach. It's about giving back. And so it's like, after your basic needs are met, it's literally about giving back. Well, and it seems like literally all roads lead to just the recognition that at the end of the day, anyone that I know that's built wealth, I think it just gets very old after a point in time. (laughs) You realize that that's, you know, not anything to pursue in and of itself because there's really nothing there. Last question is around gratitude. What are you most grateful for in this phase of your life? 
And I know you're building a fascinating company. You're getting the chance to work with this wonderful friend, Michael, in building Launch House. You're having an enormous amount of success. So I'm sure there's a lot to be grateful for there. So it could be there. It could be somewhere else. What are you most grateful for? What comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, I would say <laughs> I have a really fun job. It's not B2B SaaS. There's a lot to it. It's very rewarding across the board. I, I get to meet amazing people. I get to hang out in these beautiful locations. I get to help people level up in their careers and achieve you know, success that they'd never thought they would achieve, or maybe they thought it, but I get to play a role and I get to help people connect and stuff. So it's this magical thing where it's kind of all those things that I was talking about roped into one and it's very creatively fulfilling as well. So every week I'm just like kind of blown away that something happens where I'm like, what the heck? How is this possible? Is this my life? It's the best place to be. Yeah. And that also the views never get old from Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> from Paris Hilton's old house in Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Last, last question. I just thought of this. So you obviously with Launch House, you guys are taking engineers, you're taking founders, you're taking people that want to build that are potentially at the start of some sort of journey and helping them figure out where to go from there. If you could only give those people one piece of advice, one quote, something to read, what would you leave them with? What would you tell them? Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Cue the background motivational music. Let's go. (laughs) Belief is the most important thing. And it's not even in a like, oh, if you only believe in yourself and then pat on the head, like, you know, you can do anything. It is that. It is much bigger than that. Whether you're a scientist or you're a LA spiritual healer, unanimously agree. Every great, most successful person in the world, from the religious leaders to the CEOs, they all agree that declaring what you want as if it happened, saying you will do something is the most powerful way to actually do something. Aside from actually putting in the work, but what happens is you basically wind up changing your brain to find ways to actually make it happen if you repeat it to yourself. And what happens is you wind up believing it. So when you're pitching an investor and you believe in yourself, guess what? They're going to believe in you too. If you don't believe in yourself, guess what? They're not going to believe in you. So again, look at yourself like an animal, like a computer to be trained and train yourself to believe in yourself, in your company, in what you're doing more than anything else. And motivational music. It's the perfect yeah. note to, yeah. <laughs> to, to end on. <laughs> so anyone listening can follow Brett on Twitter at thatguybg, which was very hard to find you on Twitter. So anyways, I'm glad I can hopefully help point people to you to follow you there. And for anyone interested in Launch House, we just did a massive conversation all about what Brett and Michael are building with Launch House, which is basically an entirely new kind of reinvention of, of something like YC that's been around for quite a while. You can find out more information at launchhouse.co. You can also follow Launch House on Twitter at, at launch underscore house. Thank you so much for the time, Brett. This has been awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to everything we discussed as well as the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 83. For more from Brett Goldstein, listen to episode 80, where Brett joins me on Infinite Games and we go deep on Launch House. From the incredible origin story, to the lessons they've learned launching houses in LA, New York, and even the metaverse, to why they're building Silicon Valley as a service in the first place. You can also find more incredible interviews with the founders of Superhuman, Levels, Rally, Common Stock, and Primal Kitchen, as well as best-selling authors and many of the world's smartest investors at outlieracademy.com. 
And you can also now find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlieracademy. We're on our channel. You'll find all of our full-length interviews as well as short clips from every episode, including this one. From our entire team, we hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope to see you right here next week on 20-Minute Playbook.